Welcome back to Radio Change the World, a national community radio broadcast for National Child Day on November 20th and 21st. We let kids have the microphone. In this next two hours, you'll hear the voices and stories of Ontario. Part of UNICEF's National Child Day celebrations included a kids' takeover day and the Being Heard campaign, which encourages adults to let kids take the lead. Here at CJRU in Toronto, MP Arthur Potts of the Beaches East York Riding volunteered to talk to one very curious 10-year-old. so that teachers take more of an interest in their students. Education is a provincial responsibility and we set the guidelines in the curriculum. And so it's my expectation that the curriculum will direct teachers to do the kinds of things and the kind of learning to make kids learn better and make school more interesting. I know someone who had to be assigned to a different school because she had a disability. Why couldn't she stay in her her own school? Well, that's a great question. Everybody should be able to stay in their own school, and the schools should be accommodating. Unfortunately, sometimes the schools haven't been able to make the necessary adjustments and repairs. Uh, For instance, if the student needed an elevator to get up to the third floor, it's a lot of money, and it just hasn't happened yet, and so we'd have to accommodate that student at another school, but they should be able to stay where they live at their own school. Have you ever been bullied? Do adults get bullied? Well, adults do get bullied, and I have uh, constituents of mine who come, you know, particularly who have uh, difficulties, uh, handicaps or such, and they do experience bullying with people who aren't being considerate. It's not happened to me uh, directly, but I get bullied on Twitter by people who don't agree with our government uh, quite often, and it's and it's pain. It's hurtful. Mm. A tweet like, you know, all politicians are idiots, and therefore, why would we even listen to them? How can we make our neighborhood more safe for kids? When I grew up, we had block parents, neighborhood block parents. They were safe houses where if we ever felt threatened, we could go there and all the people, the parents knew who the people in those houses were. So getting to know your neighbors and and having comfort that if there was ever an issue, you could go to a neighbor's house for protection, that would be very helpful. Why don't all buildings have ramps? Another very good question. We brought in a law that makes will make all buildings accessible to people with uh, mobility difficulties, people in wheelchairs, for instance, uh, by the year 2025. And it, we have to provide you know a, a direction to do this because it can be expensive to build ramps and 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 uh, make buildings and, and offices and such accessible. I know that the city of Toronto is making all sidewalks accessible and on an ongoing basis because. It's the right thing to do. How can we get people to stop littering and bullying? Two very good social objectives. 
you know, littering is sometimes just a forgetful behavior that people don't think about it. And so what I find, if I pick up litter that's on the street, people are less likely to put more litter down if they see they're the first piece. If there's already three or four bits of litter, then they think it's okay. So the best thing we can do is be proactive and clean up so that streets don't have litter to start with. As for bullying, it's we need more public education campaigns, and it's just not right to treat people harshly that way. We would like more trees and safer parks. Can you do that? We have a new plan in Ontario. It's called the Climate Change Action Plan, which raises money from uh, from people who use fossil fuels like gasoline and natural gas. And we are taking the money that we've raised, and we are investing them in things like trees, because trees take carbon out of the atmosphere, which is a good 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 uh, uh, protection against global warming. So we're investing in millions of trees in Ontario uh, as we speak. It's a good thing to do. When you were a kid, what did you want to be when you grow up? When I was really young, I wanted to be a firefighter. And then I wanted to be a history specialist. And then when I graduated from university, I discovered that I wanted to be a labor relations specialist. I wanted to help people who are with unions and management come together and have uh, good working relationships. I never thought I would be a politician. Uh, It's something that happened much later in life, and I'm delighted to be doing it. And here are some kids from the Riverdale area of Toronto. This is what they think about children's rights. Everyone can do anything they want. They have a right to do this. They have a right to do whatever they want. Not only adults can do great things, kids can also do great things too. Anything is possible. We don't need to like ask people to do it and we don't need to work to do it. We can just kind of do it. Like drinking water is a right. We don't need to say, can I drink water? Or you have to work 10 hours and mow the lawn to get a drink of water. Um, They have a right means kind of like I have the I'm equal to everyone else because I have these rights. I um, have a right, I have the good in doing something. I am allowed to do these things. I'm allowed to be protected. So a, like a grown man came to our school in a wheelchair and he was telling us about his company it's like where he makes ramps because he's in a wheelchair and he likes to make ramps for people that have a wheelchair or they like have a hurt leg or disabilities and like people with strollers and stuff it's easier to get up onto like where you're going if there's a ledge a lot of people do have wheelchairs and like if there's a restaurant they really like and there's a ledge on it they couldn't get in because the bo- the person that came to my school his wheelchair was 500 pounds so somebody couldn't lift that up since my mom is a, like a doctor she at her like building she has a ramp because i bet you a lot of people go there in wheelchairs but my dad he has like He's not a doctor. He's an insurance broker. And 
So I wrote a letter to them saying you should get a ramp. Sometimes I see people、um, on the streets with dogs, and they're asking for money, and it's just—it kind of makes me sad because, well, like, it—you think about the person and the dog too. You think about like that must be hard taking care of an animal, which we have like house pets today, and they have to keep. Take care of one on the streets, and yeah. Well, I think that maybe going on a tour of our neighborhood and just seeing the conditions, and like, I think maybe like setting up more organizations because we have like organizations, but like we need more people who are willing to participate in them and stuff. Yeah, just like、um, focus more on learning about these things, like learning about what's happening. Like because a lot of children, when I go to school, they don't know what's happening, and you, everyone should know because these things are important, even if they are sad. Much. It's not always happy to hear sad news, but. Later, I spoke with Lisa of UNICEF about what the organization is doing to highlight children's rights this year. Children's human rights are most powerful when they're protected in legislation, in laws, and. In Canada, we don't have、um, a sort of overarching law that says all of children's human rights, including those that are recognized in the Convention on the Rights of the Child and in the other、uh, human rights treaties that you know that do cover children, even though they're not specifically mentioned. We don't have a, a law to say all of those rights are automatically enforced in Canada. You can take them to court if you feel they're violated. Um, how we approach this is in a piecemeal way through、um, different laws that、um, you know at the provincial, territorial, federal level,、um, parliamentarians and legislators are creating, and they have a duty to consider、uh, children's rights and to make sure that the legislation they're developing on different issues、um, helps protect or fulfill or realize those rights and not not violate them. But in practice,、um, this is not always the case, or there are different views about how to protect rights. So,、um, you know, there's an important piece of work that UNICEF Canada does, and, and a number of other、uh, organizations do,、um, to try to influence how legislation is developed、uh, and ensure it takes account of children's rights. So that's a really important、uh, way to help, you know, bring life to rights. We really look for how rights are being、um, protected and taken into account across a range of issues.、Um, certainly, suicide is something that concerns us. I mean, we see it as a an ongoing epidemic in Canada. The rates of suicide among our young people are very high compared to 
the rates in other affluent countries. And um, certainly we know that the rates among Indigenous children are particularly high. And, and when we look at um, how that compares to other countries, I mean, it's, it's just literally off the chart. Um, this is an ongoing challenge. And what our research, um, well, first of all, we, um, we do help use our data and research to um, make that point, that this is not a normal, natural um, situation in our population. Um, having a very high rate compared to other countries means, you know, that there are there is a significant problem here, but it also shows us that uh, it's a problem that can be addressed and improved if other countries, you know, can, can do that. Starting to show is that countries with high rates of um, violence, and that I'm not just limited to suicide, which is kind of a, in a way, it's an expression of, of violence. It's a tip of the iceberg, um, you know, um, situation. Um, but in countries with um, high rates of violence in different expressions, bullying, child homicide, suicide, um, you tend to get those problems um, in countries that are more unequal. And you might have, you know, heard a lot about income inequality in Canada. It's, you know, been debated for um, a long time now because over the last 15 years, income inequality has really widened. Um, it's leaving the poorest uh, Canadians farther behind. Countries that are more unequal tend to have um, more of these concerns. So, you know, we are, are starting to um, realize and try to communicate, um, you know, to a wide range of Canadians who can influence this, that we need to have good universal mental health um, care and prevention programs, but we also have to be dealing with some of the dynamics of inequality and how they create more stressful, um, competitive societies that are um, less cohesive and maybe making it more difficult for kids to grow up in. Child-friendly governments are governments that um, do a number of things to be able to think about how their actions affect kids and to put kids first or higher up the political agenda. And there's a number of sort of good governance um, mechanisms or things that governments can do to embed uh, thinking about children and their rights um, in their machinery, the, the way they do business. And these are, you know, have really come out of the Convention on the Rights of the Child. Um, and they include uh, having independent advocates for children, like most of our provinces and territories do, but we still don't have a national you know, independent advocacy office um, for children at the federal level, um, but that would be an important thing to do. Another is um, when decisions are being made that affect children, and almost every decision does affect children in some way, some are more direct uh, than others, but um, having um, a way to think about impacts on kids in advance and try to um, improve your, you know, your policy or your law or your decision, your budget decision, you know, that, that you're entertaining by thinking about kids. So we call that process child rights impact assessment. It's a bit like, um, you know, in the news today, we hear a lot about environmental impact assessment because um, that process is sort of under, under challenge, including by Indigenous groups. Uh, but 
we think um, that it's not only our environmental resources that need to be considered when we're making decisions, but our, you know, our most precious resources are children, and that all governments should be doing child rights impact assessments when they develop laws and policies and other decisions. And New Brunswick is a great example of a, a government in Canada that has gone ahead and adopted that, um, and uh, they're really a model for others. And, yeah, we need other, you know, federal, provincial, territorial governments just to follow suit. Well, you know, obviously we think children and youth should be heard every day um, in their families, you know, by their educators, um, community decision makers, but also um, parliamentarians, uh, including M our elected officials, our MPs, have a duty to, um, again, fulfill all children's rights. And children do have rights in the convention to be heard. Um, Article 12, for instance, you know, recognizes that young people need to have a voice in decisions that are affecting them. And uh, members of parliament do make decisions that affect young people um, on the kinds of laws and, and other, again, other policies that they're, um, they're shaping. So bring your MP to school day is an opportunity to make the point um, and actually have an opportunity to um, bring MPs to schools and hear from young people about the issues that are concerning them. Um, it's a day where young people can ask their MPs questions um, about some of the the issues that um, that they're very well informed on. And our, our experience has really shown that, uh, you know, whether MPs visit elementary schools or secondary schools, the, uh, the young people are overwhelmingly, um, you know, informed about what's going on in the world. They have concerns about, um, you know, nuclear proliferation, about some of the issues, um, you know, affecting Indigenous peoples and what the government is doing in this country. All sorts of issues um, that they're so well informed about and have something to say. And MPs that participate always... Um, tell us how much they value that opportunity you know, to hear from young people. And what we hope is that they take that into consideration um, when they're making decisions and look for other ways to, you know, to um, keep asking young people about their views. Um, you know what? I'm always struck by the wide range of issues that young people are interested in talking about. And you know, what I would expect this year is that um, when we look at, you know, the legislative agenda um, in, in the federal government, we have a bill coming up on marketing to kids um, that is looking to protect kids from um, extensive uh, food and beverage marketing, particularly foods and beverages that are really high in sugar and salt and, um, you know, contributing to all sorts of health problems. Um, you know, we did a consultation with young people at UNICEF Canada asked to ask them um, how legislation like that might affect them and what they thought would be effective um, given, you know, how much they're exposed to marketing and where that marketing occurs, like online, where it's tough to control. But they really felt that, um, you know, it's not fair that, um, that some marketing practices, you know, convince young people to do things that... Um, that they don't have a lot of good information around to make their own decisions. So that might be something that comes up. And before we let you go, Lisa, do you have any special message for young people from UNICEF um, on National Child Day? 
say this is your day, um, you know, recognizing your rights to have a voice. And, um, you know, Canadians are listening. So tell us, you know, how you're feeling about your lives and where you want to see changes happen. Lisa Wolf. Last year, Ontario Provincial Advocate Erwin Elman stopped by our radio station to chat with some kids at our radio camp. Here is what they had to say. Hey guys, DJ Blank Space back. Shout out to Desiree Cave. Thank you for being there with me all my life. You are listening to Why Are You Kids Radio, hour on CJRU 1280 AM. Now we have a very special guest live in the studio. His name is Irwin Elman, and he is a provincial advocate for children and youth. His job is to speak up for kids like us. Thank you for coming to the studio, Mr. Elman. Thank you, DJ. My name is DJ Curry. Shout out to my mom and Jayla, my little sister. What is your greatest achievement as the provincial advocate to, I mean, for children and youth are you happy have you accomplished your goals as the provincial advocate yeah that's a tough question are you happy throwing that in dj that's tough man um my wife would say i'm never happy and i kind of think that's a hazard of the job that as a provincial advocate um there's so much to do for young people like you so that you can achieve to your full potential and you're doing that now i mean you you guys are amazing so i'm i'm i'd say i'm not happy but when i'm with young people like you it makes me happy when i see that you have a voice and you found a way to express it that makes me happy and as an as the provincial advocate i guess the accomplishment i'm most proud of is that We've been able to create space where young people in my mandate are able to take control of that space and find ways of speaking for themselves and trying to create change. So I'm proud of that. My name is DJ Nikki. Shout out to my mom. Why did you put your name forward to become the provincial advocate Mm -hmm. for children and youth? Well, you know, when I, when the, advertisement was in the newspaper eight years ago I saw it and I thought I don't know if I could do that job and then I had been working with young people for over 20 years young people who are in and from children's aid care and one of them was not a young person anymore had called me and said did you see that job in the paper when I go yeah she said uh I think you should apply for it so do a bunch of us and I said oh, I don't think they'd ever hire me and she said Irwin what would you have said to us if you want that job you need to apply and really, it was them that uh, encouraged me to apply. And I would say it's all the young people I worked with all those years who've helped me get the job and been my touchstone to do the job. So that's the answer to that. I hope that works for you, Nikki. My name is DJ Khaled. Shout-outs to a guy named Christian, my friend. 
His Instagram name is cc.will18. Shout out to Nicholas, shout out to Malachi, and shout out to Quincy, and shout out to my favorite player, my favorite basketball player, Derek Rose. Derek what's Rose. Your, what's your next goal after your time as an advocate? After my time as an advocate, what am I going to do? I have two children, 12-year-old boy and an 8-year-old boy. And when people say that I want to take time and spend more time with their family, I think I understand what they mean now. And for me, um, that's the role I'm going to try and uh, play a take a harder stance on. I'm going to work harder at that role of being their dad, spend more time with them and, and my wife and my family. And My name is DJ Malley. Shout outs to all my boys. Um, how do you plan to help more children and youth in the future? Well, I hope to continue to create space for young people in care, young people from the mental health system, First Nations young people, young people with special needs to use their voice. But you know, we focused so much on the voice of youth, you know, teenagers and a little bit older even. And we haven't focused on young people like you, young people who are a little bit uh, under the age of a teenager. And I think you guys have a voice. And I think nowhere in Ontario or Canada is there really a place that says, you know, you have something to say and you have something to contribute and we can learn from you. And that's what I hope to do next, which is to work with children who are under 12, certainly under 16, and make sure they have a way of speaking up about what's important to them and, and the systems and people that try and support them. Does that sound like a good idea? Yeah. Okay, thank you. My name is DJ Nick. Shout out to Alpha Squad 2016, Nintendo, and my family. Do you sponsor any charities? Well, as a provincial advocate, I have to be careful about what charities... I sponsor wearing that hat, meaning my, my job. So our office doesn't do that. But personally, I do. Um, I sponsor a school in rural Jamaica. I have supported Japanese youth in care and in organizing. And more recently, I've done some support of young people in Ukraine who are trying to organize a student council. Um, so I, I tend to support organizations overseas and I look towards sponsoring charities when I'm not the advocate any longer, so there's no question about a conflict of interest. My name is DJ Sight. Shout out to my family and my friends from St. Paul. How did you know that this was something you actually wanted to do? Was it hard to become a provincial advocate? Um, I, you know, I didn't know this is something I wanted to do. I always uh, wanted to make a difference in the world. I knew that. And when I was growing up and when I was in university, I never dreamed of becoming the provincial advocate. But I worked with young people, and I found that in developing relationships with young people and through my work, they became community and family to me. And as I understood how much potential that they had and how oftentimes they didn't have the right 
given to them to fulfill their potential, I started thinking about how I could make a difference there. And and the rest, as I said, is history, that the young people led me to this job. Um, I often say the young people I worked with shone in the bright light of their full potential. And when they did that, because I was a lot walking alongside them, the light shone on me as well. And that's really how I became the advocate, I think. It was them. My name is OJ Dijusman. Shout outs to Kobe Bryant and Drake. How do you get this position? What treat what 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 traits did you have to show to become the advocate? Um, so the legislature of Ontario hires the advocate. They put ads in the newspaper and put it on job search engines, and people can apply. And there's a, a committee of the legislature, so lots of members of parliament and others who do interviews, and they have two or three interviews um, when they're doing the hiring, looking at candidates. I, I think they weren't looking for an advocate like me, I'll be honest with you. I'm thinking that the trait the experience that I had that they wanted to hire me for was creating a space where young people um, were able to use their voice. And I feel like myself and staff and young people had done that in my other work I had done. And they said, we want you to do that with the Provincial Advocate Office. And that's how I understand why I was hired. And that's the mission that I've been on for the last eight years in, in building the office from the ground up. My name is DJ Betty. Shoutouts to my friends Jada, Tatiana, Faith, Alyssa, and Jasmine. What made you want to start helping children and youth? And how old were you when you wanted to start to help? Hmm. I, I always wanted to make a difference in the world. And it wasn't until I was in university that I thought I could do that working with children and youth. You know, I, as summer jobs, I had worked in a day camp um, here in Toronto, and I had um, thought about, when I when I look back at it, I thought about being a teacher because I used to do my homework with my little sister, and she sometimes would be the teacher, and I would sometimes be the teacher. And so I thought, okay, maybe back then I thought, maybe I should become a teacher. And I went to teacher's college because I didn't know what I wanted to do when I was in my early 20s went to teacher's college and thought, I want to be a teacher. And I, I tried that, and I felt like, mm, that wasn't for me. Too much rules. I wasn't big on rules. I guess that's why I'm the advocate, too. And so I decided I would find another route, and I ended up getting a job at Children's Aid, running a center, starting a center for all the Children's Aids of Toronto to help kids who are leaving care um, be on their own. And from there... I was touched by the magnificent strength of those young people and how well they did when they had a space that allowed them to do well. And they became my community and family. And I was hooked. Um, they hooked me that I have to spend my life devoted to making sure young people like them and others have the chance to do what they need to do to contribute to the world too. Shoutouts to my brother Phoenix. Have you ever seen any results from the work you've done? Hey, Nikki. Uh, I have. I see how 
the work my office has done has influenced government here and abroad to find ways to speak to young people about what's affecting them. You know, the, the Ministry of Children and Youth Services in Ontario has said they will not make a policy again or a program again without speaking to young people first who are going to be affected by it. That's a direct result of the influence of our office. I've seen child welfare change because of the young people who've spoken up. I've seen us influence First Nations politics by helping First Nations young people, particularly in the North, have a strong voice with both the federal and provincial government. And so it's not me who's made the change, but it's young people who's made the change. And I've seen so many instances of young people like you, Nikki, speaking up and people finding like, wow, we should maybe do something differently or maybe we should do something more. And when I watch what you are capable of doing, it's the, you know, you asked me if I'm happy. It's the absolute joy in the work to watch how you can speak up and influence change. Hello, my name is DJ Money. Shoutouts to my family and friends. Have you seen any results from the work you've done? I, as I've said, I have. I've given some some examples. Um, I can think of specific ones. So let me say about Children's Aid Societies. When young people in and from care held hearings at the Ontario legislature, nobody thought it was going to be a big deal. But when 700 people descended on the legislature to participate in those hearings, it became a big deal. And when young people spoke up and said, this is our experience, not blaming anyone, just saying this is our experience in that system, nobody could deny that it was their truth, that it was their experience. And what happened was the system was opened up. Others could contribute besides the children's aid to say, this can't be. And the children's aid was saying it true to themselves. This is not the way we want young people to experience our system. What can we do differently? And then they engaged with young people to say, let's make a blueprint for change. And young people did. Young people from CARE did create a blueprint. And some of that change is just starting to be seen where now tuition is, is free for any young person who was in care um, in Ontario, including those who may have been adopted. Um, there's transition workers to help young people leave the system across the province that didn't exist. Young people can stay in care in their foster homes past 18 if they want to, which never happened before young people spoke up and held those hearings. There's countless numbers of things have changed. We just heard that there's a foster care chain organized by a former young person themselves for LGBTQ young people, which hasn't existed in the past. It just keeps happening and happening because young people spoke so loudly about their lived experience and people rallied around them and said, this is not acceptable. And I think there's so many opportunities for that to happen in, in our world. Thank you, Mr. Elman. We, are, we really thank you for speaking with us today. I'm DJ Curry. Do you have any shout-outs to your people? I was wondering if you were going to ask me that, and I heard you doing the shout-outs, and I was thinking, who am I going to shout-out to? You know, I'll shout-out to my mom, 94, on Vancouver Island, going strong, my, uh, my wife and kids at home who will be listening to this. I'll shout-out to you guys for what you've done for your radio camp for the courage to go in front of that microphone 
because it's not easy, particularly live. My goodness. You guys are leading the way. A shout out to Ryerson Radio for hosting you, doing the work they do. And if I can, a shout out to all the young people in my mandate and the young change makers that we work with. We remember how difficult it is for you to put yourselves on the line to change the systems for those who are coming after you. But we remember that and we remember the support you need and we remember the willingness you have to take the opportunity to make change. And, and you're our touchstone as an office and we will not forget you or the work you're willing to do and do do. My shout-outs are to Shaquem, Taheem, and Latrell, my brothers, and everyone in Alpha Squad. We are going to close out the show with some more reports from our team. But first, a brief word from our sponsors. By the greatest player ever. This shoe will improve your game. It will tell you how to improve. Download the app and shoot for the stars. For kids, it's only 310. For men, it's only 410. Ali Cleaners. The cleaner can clean anything. It can even a heel scuff. It works on everything. For only $10. Get them now at Full Locker or Champs. Hi, I'm DJ Nick. Today I'll be talking about Pokemon Go. Everyone loves that app. Even though it just came out in Canada two days ago, it was released to some countries July 6, 2016. I've tried the game and it's a really good game. Just make sure if you try to download the game, be aware of your surroundings. I know some people in my camp love this app and plays this app all the time. They made $8 billion within two weeks. That's crazy. I wish I had that kind of money. Thank you for listening to my talk show. Hope you come back again. Hi, my name is DJ Callen, and I'd like to make shots fired at Kevin Durant. Your shoes are so ugly that the swoosh sign ran away from you. Literally, you went from top three favorite players of mine to most hated. Aluminum foil costs more than your jerseys. I hope you become a bench player. Sonic shoes cost more than your shoes. You were 48 minutes away from the finals and had three chances. Now your team added another person who could choke away a 3-1 deficit lead. Hello guys, my name is Devontae. Today I'm going to be talking about the situation of the Kanye West and Taylor Swift problem. One of Kanye West's songs, he put a verse about Taylor Swift. It said, I made that famous. I think Taylor Swift already would be famous, but Kanye West helped, helped her out for sure. I think what he said was rude, but Kanye West will still be one of my favorite singers. I think they should be friends again because I think this beef is unnecessary to the to our society. This is this is DJ Devonte signing off. Peace. Hi, this is DJ Nick. Before we end the show, I'd like to give a special shout out to our awesome camp, camp coordinators, DJ Marmar, DJ Andy, and DJ Silent Toes. 
Thank you for listening, t- tuning into our YU Kids Radio Hour. CGRU Radio received a very special invitation from Black Girls Magazine to participate in a workshop that really got girls talking about identity, feminism, and being a young creative person. In this clip, CGRU Radio's Emily Joveski talks with Annette Bazira Okafar, the founder and editor of Black Girls Magazine, plus two young contributors, 13-year-old Mbabazi and 9-year-old Chisholm. They chat about why media representation of Black girls matter, and the girls share what they've been working on for the magazine, including their very own rad Black girl superhero. And what's one piece of advice you give to grown-ups? Well, I don't really have lots of advice for grown-ups, but I have advice for kids like my age. Okay, what are, what is it? Like that are girls though. Okay. Forget boys and get paid. Earlier this year, we aired an episode featuring Black Girls Magazine. I chatted with Annette Bazira Okafor, the founder and editor of the magazine, as well as two young contributors, Babazi and Chisholm. You'll hear part of that interview first. After we did that interview, Annette and I started planning for a radio workshop with the girls. So late last month, I and my colleague Brenda Molina Navidad met with the group and ran some activities where the girls learned how to use recorders, make sound effects, and interviewed each other. They killed every part of the workshop, and we were so impressed. So the second part of our feature today are some clips of the girls interviewing each other, and it's super cute. Last year, Annette Ozira Okafor found herself in a frustrating search for books and games for her daughter that feature relatable black girl characters. So she decided to create a magazine where black girls could tell their own stories. I'm joined in the studio today by Annette Azira Okafor, who's the founder and editor of Black Girls Magazine, as well as two writers for BGM, 13-year-old Mbamzi and 9-year-old Chisum. Annette Mbazi and Chisum, thank you so much for joining me on Femme Radio today. Thank you for inviting us. It's so nice to have you both in the studio as well. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so... Annette, you said that your own children inspired you to create the magazine. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about how the magazine began and um, why you started decided to take the step of creating your own magazine? Yeah, it came out of a, a research that I was doing last year, um, or the year before, during my doctoral studies at the University of Toronto, and I was doing research on... Um, African youth and popular culture, and then uh, I read a book um, by uh, a professor at University of Texas who also works with uh, youth and, uh, and does research on um, 
on uh, black youth and on uh, popular culture, and he talks about the fact that um, black girls are the most underserved and indiscernible demographic in popular culture. And that's kind of what got me. And then also my daughter, um, so that's Babazi, she usually, you know, has uh, always had her friends over, um, sleepovers, or they come, you know, to the house and hang out. But most of the time they love to play on um, like um, online apps, uh, dress-up apps, makeover apps, and all that. But none of them look like them. So I, I, I just thought, you know what, maybe we sh- I should start something with them where they can come up with their own ideas, but ideas that are... Uh, not only represent who they are, but um, my daughter is really good at in um, like drawing art, and especially with um, with uh, online apps and stuff like that. So she's really good computer apps. She's really good with that. So she started uh, creating um, the illustrations for the magazine and and creating caricatures of the girls, her friends, and then then we just kind of started off that way, and then they invited more friends, and then. We kind of it just started. Uh, we said we said you know we're gonna create a magazine and um, we decided writing articles and we looked at the different magazines that are out there and as you know I asked them to think of uh, or look at the stuff kind of stuff that they like to read about and then create their own and uh, so that's what they got to put in the magazine as well. So that's how pretty much it started out and kind of took off from there. Right on. And I'd like to ask you girls, um, I'm just curious, what kind of books and magazines do you like to read in your spare time? Sci-fi books or comic books or... I like horror books. Horror books. Nice. Um, I like most books, not horror books. Yeah. Sweet. Do you write any horror for Black Girls Magazine yet? (laughs) shaking her head no (laughs) well what made you decide to get involved with black girls magazine uh because i thought it would be a fun thing to do because i guess all my friends were doing it too it's kind of a nice place where you guys can come together and hang out hey Yeah. yeah awesome um how does it feel when you see your own name and your own writing printed in the magazine Chisum, what do you think when you see your your name in the magazine? I feel good, like, because I've, like, accomplished something, and I feel appreciated. How about you? I guess when I see my name there, I'm not really thinking about that. I'm thinking about if I made any typos or something. Yeah. <laughs> Checking to see if you made any spelling mistakes. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Um, I've read that you have over a dozen girls contributing regularly. Mm -hmm. Um, And it seems so important that you have these young girls reading and writing in the magazine themselves. Can you tell me why? I think I really wanted their own perspective, their own voice because um, I felt that was lacking in uh, mainstream media, in popular culture. And I just thought that if they did um, their own writing, they wrote their own articles, uh, came up with their own ideas, because usually when we start uh, our meetings um, on uh, brainstorming on what we want to do for the for the magazine for, uh, say, a particular month, um, 
it's like I just ask them, what is it you want to see in the magazine? And what? So they basically, of course, I guide them like in terms of um, I give them show them um, other magazines, what they've written about and all that. But usually now, because they got used to the whole idea, they come up, they already have the ideas of uh, whatever is going to be in the next issue. They, they've already prepared for that. So they come up with their own ideas. And I just thought that's the best way to for their voice to be heard rather than me telling them what to do. And uh, my daughter makes it very clear that I'm very old-fashioned, so I figured <laughs> what, whatever it is that I might ask them to, to write about, they might be like, oh, no, I don't think so. <laughs> so yeah. yeah. How do you think your mom is old-fashioned? I guess when, like, adults ask you something, like, their minds are completely different than ours. So, like, sometimes when they're suggesting something... It's like we're totally out of interest because either we don't understand what they're saying or really we don't even like what they're saying. Yeah, that's so right, Chisum. How about you, Mbazi? Well, I mostly come up with my own ideas for cool. um, my comics. So, I don't know. I She doesn't really suggest things to me all that much. That's awesome, though. So you do comics for the magazine mostly, or do you all kinds of writing? I do writing, too. Awesome. What kinds of comics do you like to write? Anything that I, I would like, or if it's relating to the season for, like, holidays or something. Do you have a favorite comic book character? I don't really read comic books. Yeah, you just create them. That's very artistic. Annette, what do you think has been the effect on black girls who grow up without seeing themselves represented in the media, in mainstream media? I really think it's very unfortunate because um, you watch uh, the television shows or I, I, um, when my kids were, my my daughter was younger and we'd go to the library, it was very hard to find um, uh, books that had uh, little girls that looked like her or or even the shows, the TV shows, barely had um, characters that looked like her. So um, that had always been at the back of my mind. And I always felt that like it took so much to actually find a book or even a show that, you know, you either, or, you know you'd have to look for uh, I'd go now. A lot of times I basically have bought, I bought books for her on Amazon because you couldn't really find them in the library. Um, that had uh, uh, little black girls or, or black women or, or characters that she can actually relate to. And so for me, I think girls growing up not seeing themselves in the mainstream, I think it kind of, I don't know, it's, it's, it kind of shows um, or makes them think they're not important. But being able to create those images um, also validates them, so they realize, oh, um, I'm out there. Oh, look at me! I can actually relate to the 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 kid in this book. I can relate to the 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 parent in this show or the little girl in this show. So, not having those not those um, representations of themselves actually, I think, creates um, a void that even in the main, so you go to school, but you know you're not. It's, it's it's like you're not 
you're not important. You don't you almost don't exist. And I think that affects their self-esteem. That affects um, you really have to be a very strong person. And, and I think parents uh, of, of, of black children have to be really strong to be um, to speak to the kids, to their children, and to make them realize that they're just as important as any other child sitting next to them in the classroom. They just, uh, they just, their ideas are just as important. They are just as smart. They're just as intelligent because they don't see that. So I think it's really, really important to have those representations in mainstream media, um, in the mainstream institutions as well. So with the girls that have been participating in the magazine, what kind of effects have you seen on them and their confidence in school or their outlook? I think, uh, like my daughter, for example, I, I like whenever she made the, the, the comics or wrote articles for the, for the magazine, she always took them to her, like she took a copy to her teacher and to the librarians. But the teacher was amazing in the sense that, like, you know, he took um, the magazine and he always displayed it in the classroom. And then her friends um, picked it up and, and, and would read it. And um, I think that she was, uh, I think there were just two black kids in the classroom. And, and um but the teacher kind of embraced that and, and they, they, they'd give, they'd give her an award for participating in this in this initiative and that kind of thing so I think that makes a difference to know that um, you're being rewarded for uh, being able to um, to create a representation that does not exist and I find that the girls I think they're becoming a little more they've become a little more comfortable they were actually not very comfortable with the idea and and when we started out um, some we had some of the older girls arguing and saying, "Well, uh, what is wrong with what's already out there? Can we just leave it the way it is?" <laughs> and I said, "And we, I had a whole bunch of magazines on, on the table, and I said, look, look in the magazines and tell me how many um, black people you can relate to that are in the magazine.' So they counted, and we're counting like, "Oh, there's three people in here." And I said, "Is that enough? Like, you know, is that?" Does that make you feel good that you actually people see you? You can read the people in this magazine that you can relate to, or what does it make you feel? So, despite the fact that they felt they weren't represented, some of them were a bit apprehensive when they thought, "Well, um, this." They felt that uh, at least I had one particular um, girl. She was the oldest of them, and she felt that if if I do this the kids at school are going to hate me. <laughs> mm. She thought that they're going to call me a racist. They're going to uh, they're going to call me names. And I said, why would they call you a name? Because you wrote an article about who you are. Why? So there was some, there's something wrong with the picture that they are, they were scared. Some of them were scared that they were doing this. Others were thrilled. Others thought, oh my gosh, this is amazing. I can actually, you know, like actually do this. And they've shown it to their friends. They've taken the magazines and sold them to their friends. And and it's been a very positive experience for them because people have been very accepting and embracing and all that. So, and the ones that see it and re- thought that, you know, it wasn't a very good idea, but they just had to be a part of it kind of like change their minds and um, they realized, you know, I guess it's not so bad that we can be represented and um, that people can be accepting of us, of our ideas, of our, um, what, who we look like, what we look like. Yeah. Mbazi and uh, Chisum, what has that been like to see 
your magazine getting so much attention. I, you guys were featured on CBC, and I think the BBC did yeah. a video on you. Yeah, so did. all over the place, and obviously you're here as well. So um, is it kind of exciting to be getting attention for your work? I definitely think that it's really great that um, people are recognizing um, what we're doing. And I hope that BGM grows bigger and gets um, put on bigger like platforms and yeah, you know, it gets more subscribers. And awesome! I hope so too. What do you think, Chisum? What are your wildest dreams for BGM? <laughs> well, actually, we had like sort of this list of what we were gonna do. Not that it actually might happen, but it was like a sort of fictional dream that could actually come true. Yeah. But we wanted to start a YouTube channel and then um, we wanted to get recognized by Ellen. Yeah. And Oprah and Michelle <laughs> Obama. Yes. All the heavy hitters. I believe you can do it. I'm sure Michelle Obama listens to this. So, Michelle, if you're out there, <laughs> Black Girls Magazine, hit him up. <laughs> well, I hope that happens. If you guys ever want to do a podcast, you should come and check us out because we run workshops and we'd be more than happy to have you in. Oh, sounds yeah. good. Yeah. <laughs> I've heard also, I read somewhere that you've been creating a girl superhero. Is that right? Uh, yeah, her name's Oceana Snowfall. Oceana Snowfall. That sounds awesome. Can you tell me more about her? Well, she has, I guess, general winter powers. And she can fly and, like, do <laughs> superhero um, things. And um, each each um, issue, there's a... Well, starting um, our in our third issue, there's going to be a... Um, a comic ab about her just helping people out. Like the last issue, she saved um, three girls from an avalanche. That's awesome. Caused by Chisum screaming. <laughs> She's got a pretty powerful scream. Yeah. <laughs> and apparently, the superhero is allergic to cats. Oh, yeah. She's also allergic to cats. Oh, nice. Are you also allergic to cats? Is no. that something you have in common? No. <laughs> Oh, it sounds so good. I encourage everyone to check out Oceana Snowfall. Did I get that right? Yeah. Yeah, awesome. Where can people find the magazine right now if they want to go pick up a copy? They can go to our website, blackgirlsmagazine.ca, and subscribe or uh, make an order. Uh, so we have three issues right now uh, so because we published uh, twice a year. So, um, but... Hopefully, this coming year, we hope to go to quarterly. Yeah, so they can go online and uh, subscribe and order. But we're also uh, asking girls uh, who are interested in contributing articles, artwork, to um, write in and send us their articles to add on to what the other girls are already doing. We've already done, like, we actually have uh, some girls that are already doing that, that are contributing remotely. 
Yeah, so it would be great. Yeah, Wonderful. So yeah. I guess girls can go to your website to check out how to do that? They can go to the website or they can simply send in their articles and uh, to our email, which is actually av- available on the website as well, uh, blackgirlsmagazine at gmail.com. And um, usually we ask that the parents... They include their, either the parents send the email or they include their parents' email as well so that we can um, let the parents know that they are, you know, that they have sent in an article, their artwork. We want the parents to be aware of that because we have, the girls are eight. It's a, it's a magazine for uh, girls eight to 13, but right now, we when we started out, they were 8 to 13. Now they've kind of moved on to 9, nine to 14 okay, <laughs> so, because yeah. we started last year. <laughs> so we're actually hoping also to um, to start a teen uh, version of the magazine because we want the girls, as they move out of their um, 8 to 13 age group, that they actually have another uh, magazine that they can uh, start writing. So that's the plan. <laughs> right on. Yeah. Do you both want to be writers when you get older, or do you have other dreams? When I grow up, I want to be a lawyer. A lawyer. Um, I want to be a pediatrician, but um, I, I think writing and like making comics and stuff is more of a hobby that I like to do. Yeah. Well, it's always good to have writing skills in your back pocket, too, for anything that you're doing. So that's wonderful. What do you think is the coolest thing you've gotten to do with the magazine? I think it's cool to be on um, news stations and um, and be on um, broadcasting like this. How about you, Chisum? Uh, well, I think one of the biggest thing is things are being invited to like from or by a minister in in Toronto mm-hmm. uh, we got invited fr- by Michael Couteau and Mitzi Hunter Mitzi Hunter oh right on that's very cool thank you again for joining me on Femme Radio it's been a real pleasure to talk with all of you thank you so much it's nice talking to you too thank you <laughs> thank you That was part one of this week's feature on Toronto's Black Girls magazine. We'll hear more from the magazine's young contributors right after this quick break. If we all said we were colorblind, then you would not be able to appreciate my history, experience my culture, or recognize my oppression. When you say that you are colorblind, it is like telling people of color that they are invisible and you end up reproducing racism and other oppressions that people of color face. Instead, choose to embrace my identity. Recognize my experience, culture, history, and oppression. Choose to see me. Recognize racism. This is a public pedagogy project brought to you by students at the University of Toronto in your community radio station. This is Peaches, and you're listening to me on FEM Radio, CJRU 1280, Scalp at Ryerson.
The second part of our feature today is audio collected from our FEM radio workshop with the young creatives at Black Girls magazine. We ran exercises where they interviewed each other, giving them a few standard questions to go off of, like what's your favorite snack, what's the best way to make new friends, and what's your advice for grown-ups. And then the girls just got to have fun recording their interviews. Be warned that because they're beginners, some of the audio isn't perfect, but the interviews were so fun that we wanted to share them with you anyways. Okay, one, two, three, testing, testing. <clears throat> Welcome to the Morgan Show. Today we have Deva. And how old are you, Deva? I'm 14 years old. Nice. Okay. What's your favorite snack, Deva? My favorite snack is movie theater popcorn. Why do you like movie theater popcorn and not homemade popcorn? Well, because the kind of popcorn that you get in the package and that you can buy at the store, it just never tastes as good as the movie theater popcorn. I don't know why. I can agree with that. What's the best way that you think is to make best friend, new friends? Um, if you're at school, then join clubs, like get involved, so that you can find people who have common interests as you. And that's like one major way to make new friends. Is that something you've tried? Yes, it is. If you could interview anyone in the world, who would it be? Anybody in the world? Maybe Michelle Obama. Why is that? I think it's mostly because like since, since she was the first black um, first lady, then I would want to get to interview her to know like her motivations and like um, advice that she would just give me. That's a great idea. What's one piece of advice that you would give to grown-ups? One piece of advice that I would give to grown-ups, maybe that even though they are older and wiser and that they do have more experience in life. Life isn't the same for this generation. And so maybe you could take it from the point of view of us so that you can sympathize and that you can understand like why we do the things we do. That was a great answer, Deva. Thank you so much for being on my show and I had a great time interviewing you. Any final words? No. Okay, great. Testing, testing, one, two, three. I sound like I'm on a talk show. <clears throat> Listeners, today we have a special guest by the name of Peppa Pig. <laughs> Amara. How old are you? I am at the moment 13. What's your favorite snack? My favorite snack would be um, apples. I don't know. Okay. But Kamara, tell me. Why do you like apples? I like apples because they're red. What about Granny Smith or Golden Delicious? Don't discriminate. I'm not a grandma, first of all, and (laughs) second of all, um, I'm too good for gold. What's the best way to make new friends? Walk up to them, say and say, um, yo, what's up? Has that worked for you before? (laughs) Nope. (laughs) Okay, if you could interview anyone in the world, who would it be? If I could interview anybody, then it'd be um, myself. (laughs) Good luck with that. (laughs) What's (laughs) What's one piece of advice that you'd give grown-ups? 
I don't know. Stop giving more chores. Let's see how that goes. <laughs> Tune in next time for um. For my me. Talk- no, my talk show. Okay, bye. So, what's your name and how old are you? My name is Morgan and I'm 14 years old. So, what's your favorite snack? I don't have a favorite snack because I eat everything. My least favorite snack would be eggplants and avocado. Why would you hate eggplants and avocado? Eggplants have a weird taste and avocados are too mushy. I completely understand. What do you think is the best way to make new friends? I think the best way to make new friends is um, by if you see somebody interesting or if you see somebody you'd like to talk to, you should go and talk to them and not to be shy, even if you're an introvert, because that's the best way to do it. Good advice. Also, if you could interview anyone in the world, who would it be and why? I would interview Donald Trump and ask him why he does the things that he does. Can you be more specific? For example, why he wants to deport Mexicans and why he thinks he's the greatest president. Okay, interesting. And lastly, what's one piece of advice you would give to grown-ups? Um, I would give to, I would tell grown-ups that they need to see everything from everyone else's perspective and not only theirs, just because they're older, they think they know everything, which could be a valid point, but then again, the new generation, times are a bit harder with technology and stuff like that, and times are growing really quickly. So I think everyone should have their own perspective of things and not be entitled to listen to grown-ups. That's all the questions that we have for today. Thank you for sitting down with me. You're welcome. Have a nice day. What is your name? My name is Uchechi Esawane. How old are you? I am 10 years old. What is your favorite snack to eat? Mm, I'm trying to think. Um, I like potato chips. And why might that be your favorite snack? I just love the taste of salt. And I have to give credits to whoever invented those because they're delicious and I just love the salty, oily feel. (laughs) Okay, so what's the best way to make new friends? I'm not an expert on that because most people come to me. But I think the best way to make friends is to go up to someone and say, hi. My name is Uchechi. What's yours names? She tells you the name. That's cool. Do you want to hang out with me at recess? Then it's going to turn into something more. A friendship. Wow. Welcome to Chatting with Chisholm. Today we have our special guest. It's me. Okay, let's start. Hello, Marley. How are you today? I am very good right now. And how old are you, Marley? Well, I am 10 years old. I was born in September. Where were you born? In Mount Sinai Hospital. Very interesting. What's your favorite snack? My favorite snack is actually um, um, mac and cheese bites. Why do you like mac and cheese bites? Because one of my favorite foods is mac and cheese, and it's like a, it's like a, a mac and cheese cookie, which kind of sounds disgusting, but it's nice. I don't think it's disgusting, but okay. What's the best way to make new friends? Well, the best way to make new friends is to start talking to them and start getting to know them. And then you ask, do you want to be friends? Who are your best friends at the moment? Chisholm and Chechi and Erica and Natalie and Juliana and Alexa. (laughs) Okay, thank you. That's a lot of friends. You're very popular. 
if you could interview anyone in the world, who would it be? I would actually interview Maddie Ziegler because she's my favorite dance and she's a great role model. And what's one piece of advice you give to grown-ups? Well, I don't really have lots of advice for grown-ups, but I have advice for kids like my age. Okay, what are, what is it? Like that are girls though. Okay. Forget boys and get paid. Okay, that's very inspiring advice. Thank you. Okay, that's the wrap, everybody. Thank you for listening, Marley. Oh, uh, thank you for having me here. See you next time, folks. Now, a message from the Ontario Provincial Advocate, Erwin Elman. Uh, my name is Erwin Elman, and I'm the Provincial Advocate for Children and Youth in Ontario. And I wanted to tell you that I'm very excited uh, by the first National Day of Broadcast. One, because I think uh, based Radio and, and College University Radio is such a vibrant way of getting a message out to both the community and to, to youngish people, if not young people. I think that's amazing that this community of radio broadcasters has decided that children's rights is an important issue. Um, not many in the country have really uh, sucked their teeth into issues around children's rights. And really, what they're saying um, in doing that, broadcasters are saying that children are people too. And I know that sounds trite, but children um, have the same hopes, feelings, thoughts as children as they will when they're adults. And they have the same rights as any adult or any person in our society. Yet, um, we have to create conditions for them to be afforded their rights different than adults do because obviously they don't have as much authority and power as adults do. So it's really important on National Children's Day that broadcasters have decided to make a statement about children, ensuring that their voices are heard. And I, I know that across the country, advocates like myself, there's one of me and in every province and territory except NWT and PEI, um, advocates like myself have been involved in helping broadcasters get that message out. And I know many have connected with children and youth to do some programming. And I think it's absolutely amazing. When when I think about somebody saying putting children's voices first, I think about the concept of child-centered practice, child-centered societies. It means putting children at the center of our conversations and our thoughts and feelings. And, of course, um, you can't put children at the center without listening to them. People think that putting children's voices first means... Uh, oh, they get to run the show. I know people worry about that. And I've, I've talked to service providers who worry about that. Actually putting children's voices first doesn't mean that they nor anybody gets to make a decision solely on their own. It means that their ideas and thoughts and wisdom um, are given due weight to any decisions that are made about them. And that's nothing more than should happen with 
all human beings in that country, not just children. And if we can put children at the center of our conversations and our thoughts, we will be able to focus on their well-being. And I've seen it when we focus on children's well-being. It creates a focus uh, for all of us in terms of creating a more just, equitable, uh, fair society. That, I think, is what most people want in our province and certainly our country. You know, around this National Children's Day, around that time of year, every year, I, I do what's called a listening tour. And I'm, I'm in Timmins doing that today as I talk to you. I've probably spoken to and listened to hundreds, if not, well, probably not a thousand yet, but hundreds of young people just this week in different situations, First Nations, young people in, um, in uh, a school in Thunder Bay, um, young people with uh, complex special needs in the Children's Treatment Center, young people in custody, children, kids in children's aid care in Ontario. And at this point, I think what they're saying, all of them, is echoed by this group of 90 young people who um, are challenged by mental health issues and and are trying to create change around stigma and better services for themselves. And they talked to me last Sunday and said, you know, Owen, we are doing our best to create change, but we need a little adult help. And I think young people more and more, particularly young people in my mandate, are saying, okay, there's been some movement where people are interested in hearing what we have to say, but our speaking up hasn't really made any change or difference in the lives of ourselves or the lives of others receiving the services or needing the services um, that we're talking about. And we're looking for change. And I think bridging the gap between the nice words of our governments now and our decision makers and what it's like to be a child in the province, bridging that gap, which is becoming a chasm for many, is a real huge challenge. Governments often talk to us um, and I've seen it just this week where I was with a minister listening to a group of kids and the minister did a laundry list answer to the kids where he just said, well, we're doing this and we're doing that and we spent this much money on this and we're going to spend more money on this and we have a new framework coming out. And the young people said, well, that's all nice, but really this is our experience. And so all of that isn't getting to the ground where we live and bridging that gap is becoming, I think, a number one priority. The good news is is that if we can continue to work to put young people at the center of that discussion, at the table of the discussions about how to bridge that gap, one, we won't lose sight of the fact that there's a gap and just listen to the laundry list, but we'll work with young people to create solutions that are actually effective. And I think that's hopeful to me, but it's a challenge too. And, and I can hear the group of young people who are Indigenous young people in downtown Toronto using a, uh, a drop-in centre. Many of the, these young people street involved. I'm picturing them and listening to this young woman say, you know, because I'd ask them, where do they see the hope for themselves? And this young woman said, we see the hope in each other, in the community we built for each other, because frankly, we don't have much else. I remember her and that need for belonging and her talking about being divorced, 
separated from her culture and her identity and that this group of young people she met was the belonging she had. I remember the young people in the in the open custody home that it was at in uh, Thunder Bay. And these young people were talking about really leaving custody to nothing. No family, because family had turned their backs on them. No services that would help them find a place to live or a job nothing and I I remember how difficult I was thinking that journey was going to be I remember just last night meeting with a group of parents and children with very complex special needs in Richmond Hill and the young people who had said who were able to um, verbalize the young person who had said that you know she has a significant disability but felt like her disability disabled her whole family and those parents and children uh, feeling really exhausted and being alone. And so I think about Sean Vanier and his quote that said, um, we think our most fundamental need is to be loved, but actually our most fundamental need is to belong. And how young people over and over again talk about the need for family in whatever form it takes, the need for identity and culture to be respected and the need for voice and how voice only works when there's somebody to listen, genuinely listen with caring and empathy. And that can be a policymaker or a parent. And that's what we need to provide to so many young people that don't have that in our province, in our country. And it's not right when I think of it. As an everyday person, whatever you do, in with the children in your lives, talk to them. Find a way to sit and talk to them and, and ask them uh, about themselves, about decisions that if you're in a position to make a decision that might affect them, ask them about that. I think if you're an employer, think about um, the, the act of hiring young people. And think about the young people you do hire and the influence and support you're giving them. The young people who are invisible to us, most of us. I'm thinking about the young people in Thunder Bay who uh, go to Thunder Bay from flying communities in our extreme north um, and go to school thousands of kilometers away, many of whom are struggling and many of whom have died and there's been an inquest about them, yet we don't think about them in Toronto or Ottawa or in in other parts of southern Ontario. Every week at 12.80 a.m. in Toronto, the YRU crew come together to make a bi-weekly radio show about being a young person in Toronto. We asked them about children's rights, and here is what they had to say. Why are you unstoppable? Why are you inspired? Why are you interested? Why are you bold? Why are you on CJRU? The views expressed in this program do not necessarily reflect those of the Office of the Provincial Advocate for Children and Youth. Hello, my name is Yasmin. I'm all of our YRU teams here for a little discussion on National Child Day. Before we really get into it, I thought I'd surprise you all with 
a quiz to kind of test our knowledge on this particular topic. It's quiz time! True or false? This year in Canada, National Child Day is celebrated on November 20th, 2017. I'm gonna say true. You answered true. You were correct. And listeners at home can participate in this as well by uh, testing their self-knowledge. Next question is a multiple choice. Which of the following are rights guaranteed by the Convention of the Rights of the Child? A. Right to practice your own culture, language, and religion. B. Right to be free from sexual abuse. C. Right to leave school as early as 10 years old. Or D. Only A and B. Only A and B. I'm gonna go with Marty. And Ella. I don't want to be the odd one out, so I'm going to agree. (laughs) Well, that's awesome. We were all in consensus there, and we were all correct under the Convention of the Rights of the Child. It is, in fact, true that it is a right to practice your own culture, and it is a right to be free from sexual abuse, but we don't get to leave school at 10. Next question. The Convention on the Rights of the Child applies to A, individuals 24 and under, B, individuals under 19, C, individuals under 18, or D, everyone? B. Okay, Anju says B, individuals under 19. Maybe it's individuals under 18. I'm going to go with under 18. And Marty and Ella have it right. The Convention on the Rights of the Child applies to individuals under 18 years of age. Our final multiple choice question before we really get into a great discussion is rights are defined as what? A. The things you should have to survive and meet your potential. B. The things you earn from good behavior. C. Things that you want. Or D. Rights are defined as whatever your parents say. I like answer A. I like answer A too. Yeah, I think we're all in agreement on A here. <laughs> yeah, that one was was a pretty easy one. It is, in fact, A, the things that you should have to survive and meet your potential. So I would say we, in general, did pretty good with that quiz. Hopefully listeners at home were able to learn something new. That was just our way of introducing the topic of National Child Day. For those of you who don't know, National Child Day is celebrated in Canada on November 20th this year in recognition of the UN Declaration on the Rights of the Child. It's a really important document which basically states all the rights that children have. For example, the right to be alive, the right to have a name and be officially recognized, the right to have an identity, and the right to be protected from abuse. I want to know a little bit about us. I think that was a great starting point for discussion. So where were you all born? I was born in Toronto, Canada. I was born in Alliston, Ontario. So pretty much Toronto. I don't know where Alliston is, but I was born in Toronto. (laughs) I was also born in Toronto. So we've all been born in Canada. Cool, cool, cool. And as kids, what kind of a school did you guys go to? Like public school, Catholic, private? various combination of those things 
I went to a various combination of all of that. It was a it was an interesting school environment with different people and different mm-hmm. cultures. I mean, I still am a child in school. I've been to mostly like public schools and a couple alternative schools. I'm at an alternative high school. I do see a, a difference in that. I went to private, public, and Catholic, and then all girls, and then public university. So a lot of different experiences there. Yeah, that's really cool. I myself went to public school. So do you remember at any point feeling different than your peers, you know, outside of regular growing pains? Yeah, I'm like odd child, I guess. I'm always like the odd one out, like I could fit in real easily but yeah I'm always the one that will be like a sore thumb I guess in the group you'll you'll figure me out if you see me I mean I I'd say that I'm pretty average so I don't really have much to say on that I can sort of blend in with the crowd if I so desire yeah I'm not sure for me because I change schools pretty often so changing schools in different neighborhoods in Toronto was interesting because a lot of different demographics that you have to pass through and then be accepted by again. I know in my life, I didn't necessarily grow up feeling the sense that I was the odd one out because it was how I grew up, so it's just what was natural to me, so I never had the sense that anything was different. But our family really didn't have a lot of money, so I missed out on things like birthday parties. Like My mom insisted, of course, like, she can't send me to a party that someone's invited me to without a gift. And if we couldn't afford money for a gift, then I couldn't end up going to that. As well, like, for my own birthdays, I didn't have, like, parties where I could invite my friends over. So that was, like, something that is typical for children to experience that I missed out on. On that note, poverty in Canada, especially child poverty, is extremely common. 1.3 million children in Canada live in poverty, and that amounts to 1 in 5. The stats are even more significant for First Nations children. One in two status First Nations children live in poverty. More than one-third of food bank users in Canada are children, according to a 2016 stat. And about one in seven of those using shelters are children. Ladies, I'm wondering, what do you think children need in order to succeed? In life, I think that children need guidance. Also that we need money. Money influences a lot of stuff and decisions that we go through in life. I think we also need justice and fair laws that could govern over us so that people don't take advantage of children. Focusing on the the financial issues that you're just talking about, I think it's really important for children to have a sort of financial stability in their homes because as as a young person worrying about your family's money situation and food and rent and stuff isn't a thing that should be happening, I think that that's fairly important. Children need a sense of security and that can extend to the basic rights we have to food, shelter, water, clothing, etc. But beyond that, children also need more than what's in their home in order to succeed. They need the help of the community, just in case those powers fail. Yeah. To me, a right is something that a person is entitled to by birth. It's not something that a person has to earn, and it's not something that is 
limited to the way that a person looks. You know, a right is something that's guaranteed to us regardless of the color of our skin, regardless of our religion, regardless of what kind of socioeconomic conditions we were born into. That's what I feel a right is. Do you think that Canada does a good job following through with all of the articles in the Convention of the Rights of the Child? As you guys know, there's over 40 articles that that define all of children's rights, you know? Some of the ones, as a refresher, that we children have the right to practice their own religion. Children have the right to have legal documentation of their identity. Children have the right to be protected from abuse. So in your opinion, maybe from what you've seen, what you've experienced, what you've read in school, do you think that Canada is doing a good job of following through? It's hard to talk about all of Canada since we're in Toronto, but based on some of the things I've heard in Toronto for children and teenagers in particular on the issue of school, getting to school is really difficult for a lot of youth because their families can't get bus tickets for them. And my understanding is some schools actually won't allow the kids to get bus tickets. They won't subsidize them. And I find that really shocking because I know in my case, I needed those bus tickets to get to school every day. And I had to go to my principal's office to get them. So hearing that kids can't even make it to school, I'm worried about their chances of success. I think that that's a really important point, uh, specifically to like locally Toronto. But I think that for all of Canada, I mean, we aren't doing the worst. We, we could be worse. But I think that Canada in general is failing First Nations children and youth a lot on reserves even I know I went to First Nations school briefly here in Toronto and even the First Nations children in the big urban city of Toronto are also being failed in that respect and I mean like way more so are these children on reserves throughout all of Canada. Section 25 actually says that if you live in care or any other situation from home you have the right to have these living arrangements looked at regularly to see if they're the most appropriate. And in the case of a lot of Indigenous children and youth, I would argue that Canada is failing. They're failing them. Um, Indigenous children and youth, are, as well as Black youth, are overrepresented in child welfare systems. And, you know, you see the reports, children going missing when they are are in care and there is supposed to be somebody looking after them and then you know when it all comes out it's like oh yeah they'd been missing for two weeks but we just didn't report it and it, it's everything is like happening when it's already too late so I feel like in that respect as far as like following section 25 Canada should be doing a lot better I'm enrolled in the child and youth care program at Ryerson and in one of my courses, Diversity in Child and Youth Care, we learned about some of the obstacles facing Indigenous children and youth, and one of them being access to clean water. We read that Indigenous communities are 90 times less likely than non-Indigenous communities to have access to clean and sanitary water. So these are issues that are affecting children We've talked about some of the, the challenges. 
Canada is facing and honestly it's a it's a huge topic it's a lot to cover but I did want to capture some of your your favorite childhood memories some of my fun memories was getting these opportunities to participate in the community in ways that I didn't think I could because of my socioeconomic situation one of the first ones I remember was being a little sister and getting to go to art school and not even understanding that art school was something that was maybe prestigious for someone in my position and getting to participate in that for a number of years. Another favorite memory is getting to play soccer, but again, only because I was able to get the help that I could. I could go and play and got to be good at something, try something new, and that was really interesting. And then, as you said, having great mentors around to see that you want to do well and keep encouraging you to do well is probably some of the best memories to have because it gets harder (laughs) when you get older. (laughs) As a kid, I never really played outside. Never played with toys when I was younger. I did a lot of workbook activities. I was by myself most of the time. I am the only child also. When I went to school, that was the only time I really interacted with kids and like talked to my friends and stuff, and that was pretty fun. After that, in middle school and junior school, I was kind of odd. People would just look at me strange, and I would look at them strange. And then when I went to high school, I just, I went out on my shelf. Like, I talked to everyone. Everyone talked to me. I had lots of friends, and I talked to people. And it was fun, and I made sure that I got interactive into a lot of volunteer programs. High school was definitely a period of time where I feel like I flourished and learned so much about myself. And I am so grateful to the various organizations that I got to work with on a voluntary uh, basis. I think it's just really great to have adults empower young people in that way by giving them a platform where they can speak their mind and be heard. As you're saying about how it's great that with these adults giving young people opportunities to like speak out and stuff like that. I'm still a child and I'm still forming, I think, a lot of my fondest childhood memories. I think this opportunity will be on the list. I have been a part of lots of interesting things where I think it really helped me that I knew people were listening to me and people cared about my opinion. And, you know, that's how I got here and that's where I want to keep going in that direction. Just knowing that my opinion, even as a young person, does matter. I feel like I had access to a lot of different opportunities that really helped me grow and gain confidence and self-esteem. I remember in the eighth grade, I was a part of the Toronto All City Orchestra, and that gave me the opportunity to actually perform at Massey Hall. And that was really cool because that was only the second year that I had learned to play the trombone and I was getting this awesome opportunity. I had a lot of great adults in my life, whether they were like teachers or people in the community that I was volunteering with, who really encouraged me to pursue higher education and believed in me and believed in my success. And so those memories are really the highlights of my childhood. As a young person, what do you and your friends worry about. A lot of my friends are in university right now, so the first concern is, how are we going to pay for university? After that, after I pay for university, how do I pay for my food? And after that, after I pay for university and my food, how do I pay for my shelter? And after that, how do I balance a job while managing all these things while trying to get the bare minimum access that I need into society? 
as a young person, something that I worry about more than I would like to worry about is getting closer and closer to the age where I'm going to age out of mental health services. So the question is, <laughs> what next? Because a lot of mental health services end at 21. I'm 20, so it's like, hmm, am I going to get better by 21 or, or what? So that's something that I worry about. And I'm probably the luckier of my friends because I do know that some of the people that I've been to school with worry about even accessing programs. Like, there's barriers sometimes to even being considered to be in a treatment program. So that's a big worry that we experience. I think all the shifting ages is another concern because even as young people, not all of us are under 18, but all of us are under 30. And there are different age cutoffs at 21 for mental health, 24 for youth training programs, 29 for other youth-led programming. And that leaves the young person feeling kind of lost in the mix, especially after graduation. You want to get skills. You want to be able to start your life on the right foot but everything is constantly changing and you're being treated as an adult and a youth at the same time, not quite sure where to identify. Yeah, the transition from young person to adult is extremely hard and I feel like there's no like one set definition or one set path to do it. I mean, right now I live a pretty simple life and I don't have a lot of concerns yet. Um, but I know that I, because I do want to pursue post-secondary education, like Marty was saying, you know, even already being in my still first years of high school, I'm concerned about that. I want to go to university, but how can I pay for it? And I know that a lot of my peers are concerned about that too. And I have a lot of friends who are in a lower income bracket and they're just, oh, I'm not going to go to post-secondary education because I can't afford it. So I think that is generally a huge problem. One thing that I worry about is just moving on with life and becoming an adult like what is an adult who defines that what age group is that like i'm i'm actually very confused another thing is the government free university like i get confused because they say that k tuition is going to be free but then they have like a bracket on it they move around these wordings and it gets me confused and it's like how do you know how much i could afford i could go broke in the middle of it and another thing is like housing costs and stuff are skyrocketed. Like, where am I gonna live? How am I gonna, you know, protect myself? Stuff like that. And that makes me really scared to enter the world. I think Anju talked about something really important, especially about fluctuating income brackets, as I guess we would be called transitional youth in our young person age range. But what happens a lot of the time living in the city is that we often make too little to survive, but make too much to qualify for subsidies, which puts a young person in quite an interesting bracket because we're being told that, no, you make too much to go to school for free, but making too much is us not feeding ourselves at the same time, which we hear about more and more and more. A lot of young people are moving outside the city but then are concerned about their access to supports and systems such as mental health supports and to their workers to move to the periphery or to move out of the city, maybe into a rural area, you might have to travel two hours to go see your doctor for one hour, one way. 
and then you're not guaranteed to be able to find the medicine that you need. You're not guaranteed the services that might be helpful to you. And then you might have to move back to the city anyway and be kept in this very, very vicious cycle. What do you guys wish you could change about the way Canada helps its children? What should we be paying attention to? I would love for there to be a consistent age for youth in Canada that made sense for all programming that had to help young people. I think that they should ask children, you know, what they're going through and ask us for our input so that when they make these laws or when they try to help us, in quotation, that they could ask us, you know, what's wrong, what do you think we need to do, what's not working, and actually do it once we tell them and find a way to help us out. I think that there should really be a lot more focus on having easy, known access to these supports for all young people, specifically like minority groups and stuff where there are groups where there are less access, like initially. But I feel like a lot of young people are sort of hesitant to go searching for these supports. I feel like they should just be there right in front of you and you know that they're there. I would also love for young people to get paid a equal wage for their labor. Um, just because you're working in retail or just because you're working in food, there are people who are 16, 17, and 18 years old who do live by themselves and do actually need to pay rent, who make too much to qualify for supports and too little to support themselves. So I just love for that to be respected and to be seen because we are a growing population as our older generation is getting older and we need to be able to support ourselves and them. Final question, because I wanted to end on a hopeful note. What would you guys say to your younger self? I would tell myself that, you know, life's kind of hard, but just look for the most positive outcome in life and keep focus. And don't worry about the obstacles that you're going to encounter, because that's just going to make you stronger and prepare you for the real world. I would tell my younger self to always work hard, because people notice your effort more than you think. I feel like something I've just recently learned that I would tell my younger self is that you've really, you've got to try because even if you see other people around you who aren't trying as hard, but they're getting further, don't let it discourage you and just keep trying because eventually it will get you somewhere. I would tell my younger self, hey, Yasmin, you're doing good. So thank you, Marty, Ella, Anju. It was really nice to have a chat about the National Day of the Child. I feel like we had some meaningful discussions. You can catch us on CJRU 1280 AM. The Scope at Ryerson. Article 2 of the Convention on the Rights of the Child states the following. All children have these rights, no matter who they are, where they live, what their parents do, what language they speak, what their religion is, whether they are a boy or a girl, what their culture is, whether they have a disability, or whether they are rich or poor. No child should be treated unfairly on any basis. In article number 15, you have the right to choose your own friends and to join or set up groups as long as it isn't harmful to others. Article number 16, you have the right to privacy.
Article 25 of the UN Convention on the Rights of the Child states, if you live in care or in other situations away from home, you have the right to have these living arrangements looked at regularly to see if they are the most appropriate. Article number 30 states, minority or indigenous children have the right to learn about and practice their own culture, language, and religion. The right to practice one's own culture, language, and religion applies to everyone. The convention here highlights this right in instances where the practices are not shared by the majority of people in the country. Article 31. Children have the right to relax and play and to join in a wide range of cultural, artistic, and other recreational activities. Article number 36 states that children should be protected from any activity that takes advantage of them or could harm their welfare and development. Article 39 states, children who have been neglected, abused, or exploited should receive special help to physically and psychologically recover and reintegrate into society. Particular attention should be paid to restoring the health, self-respect, and dignity of the child. You've tried. You've talked. We know it's not always easy to speak up and be heard about what you want. That's where we come in. We're the Ontario Child Advocate, and we're here to amplify your voice. If you're a young person looking for receiving services and you're not getting what you need, contact us. Whether you're seeking information about your rights or have questions about decisions being made about your life, the Ontario Child Advocate can help you. What you have to say is important. Contact the Ontario Child Advocate at 416-325-5669 or visit our website www.ontariochildadvocate.ca Thank you for listening to Radio Change the World, a community radio broadcast about children's rights in Canada. Ryerson student and youth advocate Karis heard about our broadcast and wanted to contribute. She wrote this song, Change the World, especially to remember all the children we lost this year and to empower the youth of tomorrow. Taking flight to higher heights, but you're putting me down, cutting me down, shoving me down. I am more than my religion, my complexion, disability, more than your perception. So much greater, but you're holding me down.
Change. 